Well, good morning. It's great uh, that we can have this first service back in this building after extended time away. And uh, it's, it's a, a real blessing to have uh, all the people who can do the technical wizardry to put this together. So I want to thank all the team that have done that. It's uh, not an easy thing, and I've been impressed to see the way that we've been able to do this. So thank you so much. Now, do you, did you ever have a subject in high school where you just didn't get the subject? For me, it was chemistry when my teacher started talking about moles. Now, I understood about little brown, hairy creatures that like digging underground, but I did not understand this unit of chemistry. I just couldn't get my head around it. I remember the teacher explaining it again and again to me. And then finally, in exasperation, he said to me, do you still not understand? And I went, no. And the truth is, I still don't get it, to be quite honest, and I've managed to get through life fine. And I got my chemistry A-level, but there we go. Um, what we heard in Mark's Bible reading today uh, is kind of one of those moments of uh, Jesus' teachings to his disciples. I mean, they'd been with Jesus quite a lot at this point. I mean, they had heard him teach uh, with perfect clarity to great crowds of people. They'd even have the privilege of kind of having personal kind of um, group time with Jesus where he could explain more to them. They'd witnessed everything that Jesus had done, those extraordinary miracles. They'd seen extraordinary healings. They'd seen him um, still the storm. They'd seen him feed thousands of people. They'd seen him heal people before their eyes. They'd seen him cast out demons uh, out of people uh, who were once really disturbed, then coming to great peace. And yet, they still did not understand all that this pointed to about the identity of Jesus. Do you still not understand? Jesus asks twice in this account. It's a penetrating question for the disciples, and it's a penetrating question, I think, for us if we've been reading through Mark's gospel up to this point. Uh, Do we get who Jesus is? Do we understand? And why is it some people get it but others don't. Now, I think this is an important part of Mark's gospel that helps us think that through. Mark's gospel kind of divides into two sections, really. It deals with the the who and the what. Uh, The first half, who is this? Uh, The identity of Jesus. The second half, what has he come to do? The mission of Jesus. And in this part of Mark, we're drawing to the end of the first half, and it's a dramatic crescendo. The evidence has been mounting, but, but do they see it? Well, no. People are blind to the truth. The Pharisees, I mean the most religious uh, Bible-reading people in Israel, do not see or, or refuse to see. Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. Now, this is dripping with irony, I think. I mean, remember what's just happened. He's just had fed 4,000 people with a few bread loaves and a, a, and a few small fish. And now they come to Jesus and they say, now, would you, uh, would you, would you show us a sign from heaven? It doesn't really seem as if this request for a sign is one that comes from a desire to be persuaded. 
Look at the way it's described in verse 11. They came to test him. Well, that's the same word that Satan uh, used as he, uh, to describe what Satan did in the wilderness with Jesus. He came to tempt Jesus. Testing is what the Israelites did uh, in their wilderness wanderings when they weren't really trusting God. They were testing God and grumbling. And here we see the same thing happening uh, in the period of the contemporaries of Jesus. I mean, they'd heard all the reports of how Jesus was healing people. I mean, that's why they were coming to investigate what was going on. They'd heard about the remarkable signs and wonders. They, they didn't bother trying to deny that they'd actually happened. There was too much evidence for that. But what they said was, well, it's because it's evil spirits. That, uh, it's evil power that enables Jesus to do these sort of things. Now, this request from the Pharisees is for, for one more sign is evidence not of openness, but of blind hostility. And Jesus sighed deeply at their unbelief. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Many people then and now simply do not want to be persuaded. Instead, they want to confirm, conform, uh, confirm their own bias. They want to find more evidence to ignore Jesus. When I studied dentistry at London Hospital Medical College in Whitechapel, London, I got to know uh, some fruit stall vendors across the street on Whitechapel High Street, Harry and Margaret. I remember Margaret, uh, none of them were religious. I remember Margaret saying to me once, if God would do a miracle for me right now in front of me, I would believe. But I wonder, would she? My guess, possibly not. In a school assembly at Thanishna High School in Cardiff, my history teacher uh, proved to us that there wasn't a God by shouting theatrically, if there's a God in heaven, strike me down now, he said. And each year he used to do this little stunt, and once again he walked away unscathed. I sat there thinking, how very kind and merciful God is to my history teacher. I think one day he might have reason to be thankful for all the extra time he got from God. You really want a sign to prove it? Why does this generation ask for a sign? Jesus says, truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. I mean, if this generation was looking for some big, uh, powerful sign where Jesus would lead people's movement against Rome, they weren't going to get it. They were just going to get the evidence of the life of Jesus. The Apostle Paul put it this way in his first letter to the church in Corinth. Jews demand a sign, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you know, my friends, it is a never a smart thing to demand that God prove himself to you or I when we completely ignore his one and only son that he sent into the world who was crucified and was raised to life in order to save us. No point asking God to, to, to prove himself to us when we ignore this most amazing event of what he's already done in history. We don't need any more signs and wonders to help us believe than this. We have the historically accurate gospel accounts that we can easily uh, uh, get any 
number of translations in English to read if we'll just take the time to look. And so if you've never done that, why don't you do that? If you need a Bible, we'll, 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 we'll get you one. If you'd be interested to sit down and uh, read the Bible with someone, do it online with someone, uh, there'd be many people who'd be delighted to do that with you. Examine a gospel like the Gospel of John. Just email the office. We'd be delighted to do that. What is clear from this request is that the Pharisees are blind to the truth. But the shock in this text is, is, is this point, that it's not only that old Israel is blind, but also the new Israel. The disciples of Jesus are also blind to the truth. I mean, jumping back into the boat, the disciples had forgotten to pack the picnic uh, apart from a loaf of bread, and this is what seemed to dominate their thinking as uh, Jesus warned them, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Well, the disciples are not sure what Jesus means, uh, but it does seem to be kind of a warning about willful blindness. Uh, this can come because we're so committed to our world view, our religious framework, like the Pharisees, that our minds refuse to budge and consider the evidence. You know, we can be very religious and pious and actually spiritually blind to the true person and the message of Jesus. A local church dropped its uh, newsletter through uh, the door where we live, uh, and uh, 24 pages of, of, of very small type script and as I read through it it covered a lot about community and ecology but not once in 24 pages was the name of Jesus even mentioned let alone the gospel it is still possible that little by little we can get so caught up with religious stuff that we miss the whole point entirely we miss Jesus and it seems we need to keep listening to this warning of Jesus to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. A few weeks ago, we looked at how Herod uh, was willfully blind to the message of John the Baptist, who was calling him to repent. Because really, his attention at the end of the day was more focused on drinking and a pretty dancing girl and not losing face before influential people. The steady pull of hedonism, uh, of temporary pleasure and acclaim can blind us to the truth about Jesus. And my friends, human nature has not changed at all. We're, we're just as susceptible to the yeasty influence of secular atheism, hazy self-centered spirituality, and non-stop Netflix entertainment. And if we think that's not the case, I wonder how much time do we give to reading the Bible and hearing it preached compared to watching programs on Amazon Prime or Netflix or whatever. I think we need to carefully listen to the warning of Jesus here. Beware, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. You know, especially with students starting another academic year, listen out for this. Be careful, watch out. But at this point, his closest disciples are just not getting it. Uh, and they're just more focused on their appetites. Look at verse 16. Uh, it is because we have no bread. The disciples are just not tracking with Jesus at all. Uh, verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, 
why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you still have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketful pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000 people, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? No, they didn't. What should they have understood? Well, God had prepared them for Jesus in promises revealed and recorded hundreds of years before in their Hebrew scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament. Isaiah prophesied that God would come and rescue spiritually exiled people in a new exodus, in a new act of redemption. And when they saw the deaf hearing and the mute speaking, well, they would know this was evidence that God was coming to rescue the enslaved, to restore the exile in a great act of of redemption and salvation. Jesus had come to fulfill these ancient promises. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, come to redeem and save. But the religious leaders and the disciples are spiritually blind. Old Israel, new Israel, still have the same hard, unresponsive hearts to what God is doing in the world. And so they couldn't see properly the identity of Jesus nor understand his mission. Now, it was so kind of Matthew to share his story. Wasn't it great to hear that a moment ago? Um, There was a time when he was spiritually blind. Even though he grew up surrounded by people who shared it with him uh, at home, at Charlotte Chapel, in Sunday school, Sunday services, youth ministry, he could give the right answers. I remember he gave them to me. But he was blind to the light of the gospel in his own life. The Apostle Paul uh, puts the problem like this in his second letter to the church in Corinth. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. It is so discouraging for parents and and youth leaders and pastors and elders to see young people who've heard so much walking away from the church and walking away from Christ because they personally don't get it for themselves. And so what hope is there? What hope is there for any of us who want to help others to see it and get it? Well, it turns out there's lots of hope. See, Mark is a preacher communicating a message to us by putting events side by side. And so notice exactly what comes next in his account. Immediately after the conversation where Jesus asked them, do you have eyes but fail to see? What do we read? Well, we read of a blind man being healed so that he can see. (laughs) Jesus can do the miracle that enables people to see. Look at this miracle of sight in verses 22 to 26. 
It's a slightly odd miracle of Jesus as it's the only one that takes place in two stages. The first time Jesus spits on his eyes and puts his hands on him, he only sees partially. I see people, they look like trees walking, he said. Now I wonder whether Tolkien got this, uh, his idea for the Ents, the trees that walked about from this bit of um, the gospel. But there we are, that's by the by for Tolkien nerds who like Lord of the Rings. But that's the first time. Everything looks blurry. And then Jesus applied his hands a second time on the man's eyes. And this time it says, his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Now we're going to come back to consider this two-stage miracle next Sunday. But for today, it's enough to notice this. The disciples did not see who Jesus uh, was. Then a blind man is healed so that he can see. And then we have this incredible conversation where finally Peter declares that he does see the identity of Jesus correctly. Suddenly we get a miracle of insight in verses 27 to 30. Going for walks is such a great way to to chat and share with other people. You can have very significant conversations going out for walks. And this is a incredibly significant walk that Jesus took his disciples on. They they went to a more remote place around the villages, around Caesarea Philippi. Interestingly, uh, Caesarea Philippi was built in honor of Caesar Augustus. It was a center of uh, imperial cult worship where you would say, Caesar is Lord. Anyway, they're walking around the villages in this quiet area, and, and as they're talking, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? Well, they answered from what they heard. They'd heard a lot of contemporaries uh, telling them uh, who they thought Jesus was. And so uh, they shared, and unsurprisingly, the answers are very Jewish. Some say John the Baptist, they said. Now, remember, that's exactly what Herod said. Guilt-ridden Herod, who chopped off the head of John the Baptist, hearing about what Jesus was doing, he said, it is John the Baptist who's come back from the dead. Such was his paranoia and guilt. Others say Elijah. One of the last prophets in the Hebrew scriptures, the prophet Malachi, he promises that uh, the great prophet Elijah from the past would return again before the day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of judgment of, of the world. So that's a very significant thing for people to say, isn't it? Could this be Elijah? marking the end of all things. And still others said, well, Jesus is one of the prophets. Um, you know, and again, that's a very high and exalted view. The, the prophets who often were denouncing the leaders and calling on people to repent. Well, Jesus reminded them of those prophets who fearlessly spoke the word of the Lord. Now, my guess is if we went out on the streets of Edinburgh today... Um, and people would stop and talk to you. They're less likely to these days of COVID. But, and we were to survey people and say, well, who do you say Jesus is? I think we'd get a different set of answers, don't you? Uh, one study a few years ago found that 40% of the UK population don't realize that Jesus was an historical person who actually lived. So I think you'd get a lot of people who think he's some sort of fictional character or just a swear word. Uh, I think it speaks more of the ignorance of people today about basic history. 
Uh, I read even in this last week that 15% of millennials believe that the Holocaust is a myth and did not happen. And so it seems to me that social media is actually causing a lot of confusion, a lot of misinformation. So some people might think, oh, well, Jesus didn't really exist. Uh, others will maybe come out with the old line that, well, he was a great moral teacher. And, I, you know, I think he said some wonderful things. And it's very sad that he died as a young man. But, uh, yeah, a very enlightened thinker. I think we'd get a whole range of answers like that. I suppose if we bumped into some Muslim friends, they would say to us the same answer that we've got in the text. Well, he's one of the prophets, because that's what they believe, that he's one of the prophets, uh, like the other prophets of old. Lots of different answers. But the crunch question is the next one, isn't it? The next one that Jesus asked his disciples. But what about you? Who do you say I am. Now, this is a far more challenging question, isn't it? It is much more significant because it says something significant about us. It it is a response that has massive implications either way. Well, Peter's response is one finally of great insight. You are the Messiah. You know, John the Baptist clearly know, Elijah prophets... They were great, but they don't compare with the greatness of Jesus. No, you are the Messiah, Jesus. He sees it. And when you understand all that the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures promised of the Messiah, you realize what a massive claim and uh, identification this is. The Messiah was the one promised by God to be the ultimate king over God's creation. The one who would rule over a transformed world in an everlasting kingdom of justice and salvation and peace no more poverty no more suffering no more masks no more covid uh, no more pain no more curses no more relationship breakdown in this blessed restored relationship with god kingdom that he would rule over and all enemies would be defeated including death itself And Peter finally gets it. He puts the pieces together. And in a moment of insight, he says, you are that one. You are the Messiah. His identity understood, I think, changes absolutely everything. If he's just a great moral teacher, well, you know, you can take pick and mix. If he is the Messiah, the Son of God, who has the right to rule over everything and the right to rule over our lives, that changes surely everything. If God is saying, at the center of human history is my king, the Messiah, then the question is this, is he your king? If this is where all human history is heading, where he is Lord, over heaven and earth, over all of, the, all of the earth, over all people, the question is, 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 he, is he your Lord? Is he my Lord? And if he is Lord of everything and he's not your Lord, then that means you're currently outside of the kingdom of God and you're on the wrong side of where history is heading. You'll be outside eternally from the kingdom of God if you keep ignoring and rejecting this one who is the Messiah King. 
Do you see why this question of Jesus is still so relevant for us today? Where Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Now, if you're not a Christian uh, watching this today, can I urge you to investigate and get clear on this? Uh, C.S. Lewis, the, the great uh, writer, thinker, put it, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And if he's a liar or a lunatic, forget Christianity. It has nothing to offer you whatsoever. It's rubbish. Put it in the bin. But if he's Lord, then it changes everything. He needs to be Lord over my life. Now, in October, we're going to run through uh, four Thursday evenings, something called Life, Looking at Life with Jesus. Um, and if you've got questions, you've never probably investigated what it means to understand all of this, well, why don't you sign up to do, the, to do Life? Uh, it'll be 7.30 to 8.30. You'll be able to watch it from your home, as you're doing now, if you're watching online. And uh, th there'll be uh, some interviews a presentation, an opportunity for ask any questions you want. You can even ask them anonymously. So even if you think it's a dumb question, no one will know it came from you anyway, and there are no dumb questions. So what do you think about signing up for that? Now next Sunday, we're going to be thinking about uh, what sort of Messiah King he came to be and hear a bit more about what it means to follow him as Messiah King. But to my Christian friends, let's think about this amazing change in the disciples. One minute they're clueless, they're blind, and then suddenly Peter sees it and he declares the truth about Jesus. How does this happen? Well, of course, you have to have the information. That's important. You have to take time to, to listen to Jesus, to read about his life and about what he did. But sandwiched in between is this healing of a blind man. And this is Mark's way of showing us that we also need a miracle to take place in our lives so that our spiritual blindness is removed by God's grace to see and respond correctly to Jesus. We need this miracle of insight for our hard, rebellious hearts to experience a transformation so that we see clearly who Jesus is and put our trust in him. That encounter that uh, Matthew describes as he found himself reading the Bible on the mountain in Seychelles has been the experience of so many people as they've read the Bible. By the way, you don't have to go to the Seychelles for it. Uh, you don't have to be on a mountain for it. You just need the Bible. Start reading it. Ask God to reveal himself to you to help you see the truth. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In the same uh, chapter where he talks about the God of this age blinding the minds of those who don't believe, he says this about the great miracle of salvation. For God who said, let light shine out of the, out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And that's why alongside the vitally important task of teaching people about Jesus and, and reading the Bible with them, we also need to be a people who pray and ask God 
to do this great miracle of shining the light of his glory into darkened hearts so that they can see his glory in the face of Jesus and so come to put their trust in Jesus for themselves. And this is a big part of what we do as a church in our, in our, you know, in our pre-COVID and hopefully one day we're going to get back to it in our Sunday schools, in our youth ministries, which we're doing all online at the moment, in Sunday school and uh, young adult ministry, in our Sunday gatherings, in our international fellowship, all the groups we're doing. We want to hold out God's word in, in prayerful dependence on God's spirit to do this miracle in people's lives. This is the very reason why Jesus came into the world. As we heard from our reading from Isaiah earlier, God promises this to his servant. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, the rest of the world, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is why he came. We can have great hope as we engage in this in this wonderful project of sharing the good news about Jesus with others as we prayerfully do that. And so if God gives us another week in the week ahead, it can only mean this. God is still looking for others to join his kingdom, to recognize his son as king and lord and savior. And I wonder, who could we share God's word with this week? Have we got a plan of who we're going to talk to uh, about Jesus? Are we going to be looking for those opportunities? Are we praying for those opportunities in this week ahead? And, and are we praying for people as we share that good news? Are we praying for the word that's going out Sunday by Sunday? Praying for that same miracle that took place in Matthew's life. It would happen in many more, thousands and thousands of people's lives, of people that we know. Do you know, we have a Zoom prayer meeting at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. We've done it all through lockdown. I feel as if I have participated in church because I've seen these people praying at 9 o'clock on a Sunday. It's so encouraging. We've had, you know, I, I, I wasn't able to see who was on it this morning, but normally we have about 40 people joining us to pray on a Sunday morning using Zoom. But my friends, members of this church uh, who haven't done it yet, why haven't you done it? Uh, if you have access to the internet, you, you know, you must do if you're watching this, why not join us on a Sunday morning at nine o'clock to pray? Because we know that People have hard, rebellious hearts. They're not going to see the glory of God unless he shines his light in people's lives. And we need to be those who pray for this miracle of grace. Do you long that your friends and co-workers and children and neighbors and, and, and spouses will come to know the glory of God in the face of Christ? Well, the starting place is, is prayer. You know, we currently pay for an account where we could have 200 people joining us for Zoom. Very easy. 200 people could join us next Sunday morning. And if we get 200, I'll pay extra uh, so we can have 500. Come and join us to pray that God will do this great miracle. And let's look for opportunities to share this good news of Jesus with others. Let us pray.
Father God, who made light shine into darkness and created all things, please cause your light to shine into darkened hearts here in Edinburgh, so to give our friends and family and co-workers and neighbors the knowledge of your glory displayed in the face of Jesus the Messiah. We thank you for doing that in our hearts and lives. And we're full of faith that should you give us another week of life, you sent your Son to be a light to the whole world, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives, and to release those who sit in darkness. Please do that work in this week ahead. Please use us, we ask. We ask all of this in the glorious and saving name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, let's celebrate God's amazing grace in our last song.
such amazing grace. Are you amazed? Do you want to respond to the truths that you've heard? Well, there's nothing stopping you from right now calling out to God, whatever your situation, and speaking to him. Maybe by way of repentance as you seek to reorder your life to God's way. Or maybe in a cry of trust and dependence as you throw yourself upon him for mercy. And if we can help, don't hesitate to ask. The best way to do this is by email to info at charlottechapel.org. Let me give you that again. It's info at charlottechapel.org. It'll be on the screen at the end of this service. And maybe you're listening to this from somewhere other than Edinburgh. Why not drop us a line and tell us something about yourself? We'd love to hear from you. So let me close this service with words from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.